Hello, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Technology Uncorked. My name is Jeff Quattromani, and this show is brought to you by Navman. Always has, and hopefully always will be. Now, with Navman, we've been talking about them for many, many years now, but there's always this constant reminder that if you don't have a dash cam in the car, you're actually being irresponsible. I'm sorry I'm telling you that. You should probably talk to somebody about this. In fact, just listen to me on this one. If you are driving on the road, if you're the only person in the car and something happens, are you going to be believed in your story? Are you trustworthy enough that you appear believable that if something happens, if you rear-end somebody, if you collide into somebody, are you believable that you're actually in the right? Well, if not, and trust me, in this case, anybody could be made to look like a perpetrator. In that case, you do need a dash cam. You do need that undisputed witness that could be sitting in your vehicle monitoring what's happening in front of you and what's happening behind you. What color was the traffic lights? Was it red, green, yellow? What was going on? What happened to cars in front? What happened to the pedestrians on the side of the road? What happened behind you? All of that detail is captured time and time again on your Navman dash cam. And honestly, if you don't have one, you are just driving at risk. And I don't want anyone who listens to this podcast to come to me and say, I wish I had a dash cam because boy, oh boy, have we warned you time and time again. Now, the MyView Alta DC is one of the latest and absolute greatest from Navman at the moment with that vertical mount structure means it really is hidden and out of the way. You won't even notice it. It'll just be there for absolutely when you do need it. And that's really what a dash cam is for, obviously, and then for capturing some uh, silly people who do things on the road that you might want to just share with the internet. But otherwise, when you do need it in a serious situation, that dash cam will always be there. Head to the Navman website, check out their entire range, find the one that fits your budget, and definitely look at the videos highlighting their performance as well. Let's go on with the show. Rasembrasma, Jeff Quattromani, multi Australian in Sydney. Tech expert, Jeff Quattromani. Jeff Quattromani, thank you very much from Sydney. Jeff Quattromani is here. And now it's time to talk technology with Jeff Quattromani. Jeff Quattromani. Hello, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. What the heck? Let's talk tech. And good afternoon, good evening, good morning, whenever it is that you are tuning into this. Welcome. Welcome to Australia's number one technology podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Quattromani, and I have to correct myself immediately because last week somebody did say that I maybe said the wrong thing on the show, and I said, you're tuned into Australia's number one podcast. Now, look, I'm sure there are other podcasts out there that are bigger, but trust me, not in the category that I work in and not of the same quality, calibre, commitment and honesty as anybody else. This is absolutely the show that you should be listening to. Get your tech advice, get your education, get the right tips that you need to move forward in life with technology and probably anything else along the way. Now, I have cracked a beverage and it's delicious and it's not wine, it's not beer, it's not even alcoholic. It's prime. It's prime hydration. It's the lemon-lime flavor. It's delicious. I know that they get a lot of heat. I know they're always in the newspapers or the news about scaremongering, that it's going to kill our kids or something like that. But I'm mature enough to make my own decisions, and I think this one tastes lovely. And honestly, just needed a bit of a pep. I'm getting a nice pep out of this drink. Um, it's, it's delicious too, honestly. I actually really don't mind it. Now, today on the show, we're going to go through some tech news, and then we're going to talk about kids and technology. And the reason being is that China's made some pretty crazy announcements about what they're going to do with the kids in their country and managing technology for them. But I want to give my little advice in that space where I can. But first of all, I want to talk about some news. Now, how about this? The next time you go to a hotel 
you check in, maybe you get the Wi-Fi password. It's kind of free now. We expect it that your hotel Wi-Fi is included. You turn the TV on, you kind of expect that there's some pay TV channels, whether it's your Foxtel Sports or it's Sky News, whatever it could be. You just expect that these hotels now have that. It's not just 7, 9, 10 and ABC. Uh, you've got a few more channels to choose from. We also expect that you could get room service. There are things that now maybe were once a feature or a luxury item in a hotel, which are actually now just the norm. There's one thing that hotels may be doing very soon to give them that edge and maybe help you pick between one hotel and another. How about this? Virtual reality headsets. Yes, imagine checking into your room, you get in there, you've got the bed, you've got the TV on the wall and on the bedside table, or somewhere in the room, I don't know why I assume the bedside table, but somewhere in the room is a virtual reality headset, maybe an Oculus, maybe a HTC Vive, I don't know. And they have one sitting there and it's part of the room. It's something that you would be using as if it was normal to now be doing that. That's a real thing that the Hilton, the Marriott and others are having conversations about this week, saying that that could be the next gameplay that they put into their rooms and the things that they're going to do with those headsets isn't necessarily just so that you can play games it's actually also so you can experience local attractions maybe you're staying in florida in a hotel there and you put the headset on and through that headset you could virtually experience the different parks or theme parks that are around you maybe you want to experience what the different restaurants are like and you could do that in a virtual reality world Maybe that's just your way of checking. Instead of looking through that big book of local attractions, you would do that in virtual reality. Maybe transport yourself around Florida, get an understanding of what you'd want to do, and then obviously you've got your day plan to go ahead and do that whenever you like. Or maybe you've got your experience out of VR and that was enough. I'll tell you what though, at this point in time, I'm more likely to use the kettle in a room than a VR headset. Because anybody who knows what the kettles are used for in hotels will tell you, you don't use the kettle. And I don't think I would use a VR headset that's been strapped on any random person's face um, and used for whatever purposes they may imagine virtual reality could be used for. So I think it's got a good idea in principle. The problem is hygiene. And the other problem is hygiene. Hygiene, hygiene, hygiene. Um, I don't love touching the remotes in a hotel room TV, but guess what? Sometimes you just have to. But would I want to put the remote on my face? Definitely not. So I don't know. You guys let me know. Am I just being a bit paranoid on this one? Would you be wearing a VR headset if a hotel room supplied it? You got to tell me. Now, I also want to talk about some changes that we're possibly going to see come to our smart home assistants, the one starting with A and the one starting with G. You know who I'm talking about, Google and Jalexa. Now, these two home assistants, one from Amazon, the other one from Alphabet, uh, look like they're going to be getting an upgrade. Now, at the moment, anyone who has one knows that you can just ask it to do something. It goes ahead and does it, maybe turns your lights on, tells you the weather, plays you a song. It's a commanding type role that, it, that, that you play with your speaker. There is a chance now that the next step for this is how they integrate AI into the experience and how they bring what we've now been doing in ChatGPT and other AI tools into our smart home speakers. So maybe it is actually to ask it to tell you a story or to tell you something about where you're going or to ask it a question that you may necessarily type inside ChatGPT, but then doing it through voice and having what would be a real conversation with your smart home assistant. Because at the moment, you don't necessarily have that. You don't necessarily have the chance to just be in the car and 
just ask your your voice assistant, hey, on my on my way to work, can you let me know where the best coffee shops are? What do people order there? How do I say that in Italian? Um, I don't know, whatever conversations you might want to have. But also when you're in the home, how do you start to use your smart home to work for you and with you and work all together? Because what I think we've been noticing is, you know, I can use my smart display to show me who's at the front door, no problem. But when I say, for example, I'm going to go away for the weekend, when I say that to my smart speaker, why shouldn't it then say, okay, well, in that case, we're going to be very hypersensitive on any motion around the home. Um, most of these smart home displays also have cameras. We'll make sure that we monitor any internal activity. And hey, we've got microphones, so we'll listen out for anything that could sound a little bit uh, unusual. And as a result, we'll let you know if anything happens while you're away. There are things that these devices can be doing that at the moment they simply don't. Now, at the moment, there is a strong rumor that we'll see from Amazon uh, in September announcing new devices, but also it's highly uh, expected that they'll talk about how they're going to integrate with generative AI, how they're going to bring the smart home together, especially if you consider that Amazon not only owns these smart speakers and displays, but they own Ring, as in the doorbell company, the security camera company. They have a number of other partnerships that they could be leveraging to bring in their ecosystem to actually take it now to the next level. Google has also done the same thing and said, the Google Assistant is about to level up. Now at the moment, again, just that commanding thing, but when we start to get to conversational elements with the Google Assistant, that is going to really be interesting. How we take what Google Bard is doing, the AI tool in Google, and bring that into the smart home speaker or that environment, that again is really going to help. Um, so I can't wait to see where they take this because I'll be honest, lately, and you tell me if you're seeing this as well at home, lately when I walk into the kitchen and I try talking to my Google Assistant, very often these days, it doesn't hear me. It's as if it's going deaf. Maybe I'm screaming at it too much. I don't know what it is, but those microphones aren't as sensitive as they used to be. I swear that thing used to respond before I even finished saying, hey, it used to actually start talking back. Um, I have a feeling either Google is turning down the sensitivity of, this, of, of these speakers or they're making them less intelligent. I don't know what it is, but something's going on with the Google Assistant at the moment. It's not working the way it used to. I've been disappointed by that and almost tempted to go back to Amazon and, and fire up those uh, speakers and smart home displays that I could be using in the same spot, but I haven't. But when they start to say that they're going to integrate with AI, this is where things can get pretty exciting. How my devices are going to talk to each other, how my conversation with my voice assistant is going to extend beyond do this, do that, do this, do that. I'm really looking forward to a proper integration of conversation with the device. So let's wait and see what happens there. Now, after this, let's talk a little bit about parental controls, but we're gonna start off with a story about AirTags right after this. Now, there was a report in the Washington Post this week, and I thought it was really interesting, not just from a behavioral point of view, but also how we apply technology these days. And one of the things we've spoken about on this show numerous occasions is the Apple AirTag. Apple AirTag is, honestly, it's a fantastic device. If you've got an iPhone, um, it's the perfect accessory. If you know someone who's got an iPhone and they haven't got an AirTag, buy them one, whether it's Father's Day, Mother's Day, birthdays, pick an occasion, spend the 40 bucks and get them one. They'll love it. 
perfect for finding your keys. Um, I've seen examples where people have them stuck in the boot of their car in case their car, maybe it's a prized possession, maybe if it gets stolen, you'd pretty much be able to track it. Pretty good chance that the guy who stole the car even has an iPhone to make sure that you can. And that's one of the critical things here is that with an Apple AirTag, it leverages the entire Apple ecosystem. Anybody with an iPhone, iPad, MacBook, um, you name it, anyone with a device like that, if they walk past your Apple AirTag and it's marked as lost, your Apple AirTag's location will be immediately updated for you, which is why it's so much simpler to find a device with an Apple AirTag attached to it than it is with a tile. I've done this test. I've, I stuck an Apple AirTag and a tile inside a Woolworths. I left the store, marked it as lost. In about 10 seconds, it was found on the AirTag. In about two minutes, three minutes, it was found on the tile. Yes, that's a busy shopping center, but if you think about a more remote location, you can pretty much understand why the uh, Apple device would work much better. And this is where this new trend is coming in that the Washington Post is talking about that parents are putting air tags on their kids to help keep track of them. Now, I'll pause there very quickly because it's important to say that if your kids have a smartphone, you don't need to stick an air tag to them because your smartphone, especially in the, in the hands of their kids, you can actually use it to you know, identify their whereabouts and things like that. And we'll talk about that probably in the next in the next part of the show. Um, but if they don't have a phone yet because maybe they're too young, whatever the case may be, you can attach an Apple AirTag maybe to their school bag. Maybe it goes in their wallet, um, whatever it could be. And that Apple AirTag, if you as a parent mark it as lost while your kids are out with friends, they're at school, whatever you would like, you'll effectively be able to get updates on their movement, not because of the AirTag automatically giving you the updates, but because as long as that AirTag again comes into range of somebody with an Apple device that is connected to the internet, you'll get an updated location of your child. So if they're with friends, if they're at a shopping center, if they're at the movies, um, effectively, you'll be able to know where they are. Now, is it creepy? A little bit. I would hope that as a parent, you would have a conversation with your kids and say, look, you've got to ca carry this with you just so I have an understanding of where you may be. Um, if I do need to find you, it won't be a live location, but you will get this feeding of locations as other people walk past your kid or someone in the vicinity to catch their air tag in range. Interesting use case. It had to happen. Now, I will also quickly add that we see air tags being used in stalker cases already, um, whether it's domestic violence situations, it's air tags unknowingly with people, uh, whether that's a husband wife situation or a divorce situation, whatever it could be. Um, we are seeing air tags being snuck into people's bags, um, again, sometimes put into people's cars unknowingly. Those kinds of things are an absolute concern. And that's why we're starting to see measures from Android and Apple to give you notifications on your phone. If an AirTag is nearby and it's been with you for a while, you'll actually get that notification. But if they don't have a smartphone, then they'll never know that that device is potentially tracking their, their whereabouts. And that is a creep factor on another level. So that's something we need to keep, keep considering, keep, I guess, worrying about as well, because no one really wants to think that they're being tracked or stalked unknowingly. And that could be very creepy. And even if it is just your kids, I think you should always have that conversation. Now, that was, a, that was me talking on a US slash Australia, um, I don't know, paradigm demographic. China, however, have proposed new rules for their internet addicted minors. Minors as in, as in M-I-N-O-R-S, not minors who dig 
in coal mines. Uh, teenagers aged between 16 and 18. That's not exactly a minor. That's, that's kind of old. I mean, when I was 16, I felt like I was the oldest man on the planet. You feel like an adult. But, you know, between 16 and 18 years old will be restricted to two hours of mobile usage each day. However, anyone under 18 will be prevented from accessing the internet between 10 p.m. and 6 a.m. So there'll be some restrictions put in place for those who are between 16 and 18, which I think is more of an independent age. I, I know that it's not the independent, as in above 18, where in Australia you can have a drink and do what you like. But between 16 and 18, you're kind of getting your independence. Whereas China is putting in place a rule where you will be restricted to two hours of mobile usage each day. And at which point, after that two hours, you would no longer be able to use your mobile device. That is madness. And on a whole other level, that's madness for a couple of reasons. One, I have so many questions. One, how do you how do you actually do this? How do you police that on any in any way, shape or form? Is it at a uh, SIM card level, for example, that your mobile number, after it has had two hours of traffic coming into that SIM card, is that when you actually cut it off? Is there another way that you can do it when if, if they're using Wi-Fi and not doing 4G and 5G data? Um, what is mobile usage? Is it phone calls? Is it texting? Uh, is it data use? Because otherwise, if it's just going to be data use, that is going to disappear within that first two hours of the day because your phone is constantly using data. So tell me again, how do you police this, China? How do you make that work? But also, when you talk about putting restrictions like this in place and you are the government, you are absolutely undermining any kind of relationship that the parent would have with their child and how they would like to govern, police, manage internet usage, technology usage of their kids. To me, this started an idea in my head that we probably should talk more a little bit about parental controls when it comes to devices, usage, and things like that. Now, if you do have kids, uh, you, you would know. You would know exactly what I'm talking about here in that your kids probably have a smartphone. They probably have a computer. You're probably thinking about how on earth do I manage these devices in their hands, especially when I can't be with them 24 hours a day to see what they're doing on these devices. They, they say they're working. Are they actually working? Are they putting a good use of their time? Are they being safe online? There are a lot of issues and questions around that. And there's a couple of things that I usually try and tell people, especially when this question comes up on radio. First of all, inside your home, on your Wi-Fi network, you will be able to see, depending on the router, you would normally be able to see all the devices that are connected. And you would see your kids' devices, their laptop, their smartphone, whatever else they may have. You would see them connected to it. You are then able, at a Wi-Fi level, you are able to police and manage individual devices as necessary. And that could be setting restrictions on the type of content that they can be viewing on those devices and literally to an extent of categories of pages. If you don't want them viewing particular types of content like gambling websites, for example, you can make sure that that's blocked for them. You can actually leave it open for yourself if that's something you are interested in, but you can make sure it's blocked for them. You can also then set time permissions or barriers on that as well. So you could say, you know what, between, I don't know, 8 a.m. and 8 p.m., it's wide open for them. They can use the internet as they need to, and that's fine. But then after 8 p.m., maybe you only permit educational web pages to work, or maybe you just turn it off entirely and you say, no more internet for you guys, you're out. 
But the problem there is that once you take them off the, out of the Wi-Fi network, they're able to effectively do whatever they like again. So if they are at home and the restriction has kicked in, pretty good chance your kids are smart enough to turn Wi-Fi off and start using the SIM card in their phones. Whether that's hotspotting their phones, their laptops, their gaming console, trust me, they think of everything. We all did. So when it comes to their devices, there is something I really recommend people do. And the first thing there is set them up with their own account. And every time I say that, people say, no, 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 no. If I do that, then I, they, I can't manage it. No, no, that's how you do manage it. Because your iPhone, your Android device, whatever device you've got, that's you. That's your device. You're the parent. When your kids have their own account, and while you're doing that account set up for them, you set them up as your child. Whether it's Google, whether it's Apple, they both have this facility. And even on Windows computers, even on gaming consoles, you give them their own account. You make sure you set up a family um, within any of these ecosystems. You add them as your child. You are the parent. Suddenly from your devices, you see, you see them. You see what they're, what they're doing on their devices in terms of usage. You can see what apps they're using. You can see when they're using it. And yes, you can see their location. So if you want to know whether they have left school early, you can check that. If you want to know that they've arrived home, you can check that. These are simple things that you can do. But what's more important is that you can start to lock down their usage. After 8 p.m., no more Facebook, no more social media apps, but maybe they can use a Kindle app if they would like to read or they can do something else on their devices. And if they have hit their limit, maybe it's a weekend, maybe you want to grant them a little extra time, they can ask for it and they can do it within the app, within the service. What about purchasing apps? That has, has to come to you for approvals. So they might hit purchase on the app store. Guess what? It's still coming to you to approve. If you do these things, it gives you control back. What otherwise happens is many a time, People will just put their own iTunes account onto their kids' phones, which is open and unrestricted, and then they wonder why they've gotten all these bills for in-app purchases and things like that, and suddenly things are a bit confusing as to what actually happened. There's no more control. They download an app on their phone, it appears on everyone's phone. You download an app, it appears on your kids' phones. Um, there was somebody I was talking to once who downloaded the Tinder app, on their phone and it appeared on their kid's phone. It could have happened the other way around, obviously, but um, when dating apps start appearing on your kid's phones, that could either that could definitely raise concerns, especially if your parents aren't divorced. It would definitely raise bigger concerns. But you see where I'm going here. Creating that separation means that they have their world, you have your world, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're disconnected from each other. You can have that management still. And then when they turn 18 or whatever age you think is suitable, you can not remove them from the plan, but you can say, I no, no, no longer need to manage this device. This device can now be independently managed. If they've got their own credit card, if they've got their own way of paying for apps and things like that, you just shift the control over. It's back in their hands. They're graduating. They're old enough, whatever it could be. So China stepping in and saying you can have two hours of mobile usage each day and you cannot use the internet between 10 p.m. and 6 a.m., even if they are understandable measures, it's in my view, not something that the government needs or should do for anybody. It should be something that parents do as parents need to. And every parent will manage their kids differently and that's fine. But when the government steps in, I get a little bit icky about it. I don't necessarily like it. And maybe this was a really long rant and maybe you got something from it. But um, so glad that I live in this country, the best country on the planet. And I'll say that time and time again. Uh, China is, is marvelous. Good food, I'm sure, and uh, good people, I'm sure. I've been to China many times. 
Uh, I'm yet to experience any of those. But, uh, you know, I love this country. I love the fact that we have this element of freedom, even though it maybe feels like sometimes we live in a, a nanny state or there is too many rules in this country, but not at that level. And I'm grateful for that. You've listened to Technology Uncorked, Australia's number one technology podcast. I'll speak to you again next week, time and time again. Bye-bye.